It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Josh Brown, how are you feeling about GTA 6? Scott Telford, I have not stopped thinking about GTA 6, and I don't know how I feel about it. Because, I mean, you could actually just say that about my entire life so far. For about five years, I don't think I've stopped thinking about GTA 6 with the amount of coverage we have done on this channel. Yeah. It's weird to then just have 90 videos at your fingertips for just, a little bit. Just everywhere. I think that, um, yeah, that would kind of imply that your life is an open-world crime. <laughs> Open world crime game <laughs> with many things to do. Trying to make it make sense, getting more realistic by the day. You know what? Funnily enough, when I was playing GTA Five specifically, mm-hmm. do you ever play a game so much you start to play it in your head as you're just walking around? No, but I you was... talked about dreaming about this. Well, it's weird, man, because when GTA Five came out, I was walking around parked cars thinking like, that's like GTA Five. <laughs> that. I mean, when GTA Five came out, I was like, that parked car, just like in GTA Five, on that think... street... Looks like a street in GTA 5. <laughs> it does a little bit. I think, yeah, once you start living, especially in an open world thing. I remember when, um, I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before, but I used to do um, game testing for a company called Eutechnics of Ride to Hell Retribution fame. I always forget this detail about your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. It was, it was back when they were making Street Racing Syndicate, which is during the uh, Need for Speed boom of the late 2000s. And I uh, helped <laughs> bug test that game. And I bug tested for two weeks solid, so much so that when I got home on one of the evenings, I was eating my evening meal and uh, not fast food. And I paused um, to do something else. And I imagined a pause screen on the food. That was how ensconced I was in that life. So what you're telling me is right ahead retribution and that job is your joker. It might <laughs> it might be. Maybe that's my origin story. Um, I didn't even say this is the What Culture Gaming Podcast and that I'm your host Scott Taylor for joined by Josh Brown. I didn't know we were recording. I just thought we were having a conversation. That's I not mean, true because I was doing my presenter voice. Yes I'd- you were. We've kind of got a, a mode to slip into. I also think that the podcast should be a band between friends. Should be. Um, but yes, we, this is the news podcast. This is the main thing. Um, the follow-up to the wind-up that we recorded um, on Monday, because this will be going out on Wednesday, um, because even though we've recorded them back-to-back, yes. me and you in this room right now, um, people will be getting this on Wednesday, and we just thought we'd run down all the gaming news, because we were going to do a bit of that on Monday, um, but there's so much stuff to in the rounds that it's worth its own separate podcast, Absolutely, I think. Um, so the opening thing, yes, is GTA 6. I wanted to do just a general check-in, because um, we've done a bit of news on it, we've sort of done a couple of breakdowns on all the gameplay features and everything else. Where are you at right now on GTA 6? Where, where were you when GTA 6 broke and what's your initial reaction to it coming out three years early i was in bed my friend i was waking (laughs) up at like eight o'clock in the morning on a day off and it was so exciting that i almost tried to drag you into work Mm. on our day off to do a video then Mm -hmm. i thought no enjoy your time (laughs) off josh stop blending work and life however um it has the leak considering how rough it obviously was, how early in development it obviously was, has made me excited about the game. Mm. Like, the the details that were within that leak about certain potential, you know, gameplay elements that are being included and mm-hmm. whatnot has made me, as I said in the news video that we recorded the other day at the time of this podcast posting, mm-hmm. uh, it's just inspired confidence that the game is going to be, um, you know, a single-player extravaganza yes. and hopefully is bringing across elements from Rockstar's other excellent titles like Max Payne 3 and one of my favorite games of all time, Red Dead Redemption 2. Yes, both of those games have a um, a sort of tactility when it comes to their weapons and a consideration for the weapons, which seems to be in GTA 6. Where What I mean by that is that you're, pick, you're picking a specific loadout per um, you know mission or whatever you're doing. And like in this one, it seems like you have to pick, you know, you can have like a pistol and a rifle or whatever. Same as in Max Payne, same as in Red Dead. You can't have an entire arsenal on your being at all times. You're picking specific stuff. And then the 
gun combat in GTA 6 is built around that. It's way more um, tactical, is what I was meant to say before, in terms of, you know, you can you can go prone, you can sprint crouch and stuff like that, um, which I like, you know, putting the impetus back on actual gunplay because it's been super easy since GTA 4 to just hold the left trigger, flick the stick up a little bit to get a headshot, and then, you know, and just take a bunch of dudes out that way. So yeah. I like the idea of them essentially doing an open-world Max Payne um, that is twinned with a Bonnie and Clyde-style story. Um, I feel like people will be sick to death of Bonnie and Clyde um, at this stage. <laughs> I'm already sick of it, man. Because it's all we have as a, as a, as a go-to. I've not, I've, not, I've not seen Bonnie and Clyde. Now, I wonder how many people will go and watch Bonnie and Clyde My as issue a, is uh, as a, because of this. I always get it mixed up with Thelma and Louise, a movie mm. I have seen. I don't think I've seen Bonnie and Clyde either. I just know of the story. Now that you've said that, I don't know which one's which. Thelma and Louise is about the two women, uh-huh. and they do crimes, and I think it ends, spoilers, with them going off a cliff. But yes. even that, that might be Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know. I don't know why I get them mixed up, but I have <laughs> No, I think do. Bonnie and Clyde were, were a real-life couple who uh, yes. robbed and stole across America. And you're right, Thelma and Louise is what I was thinking of right. until this point in time. And um, that's the Ridley Scott movie. They were from like yeah. the 90s or the 80s. Doesn't yes. matter. The point is that GTA 6 is based around a robbing couple who go across America. Robbery uses a whole game mechanic, et cetera, et cetera. Go check out all the other coverage that we've got. I just thought we'd check in yeah. on GTA 6 stuff. Um, yes. Because it is big, man. Like it almost it feels like you have to have a take on it. But it mm. was almost so big that I didn't have a take on it. Like, <laughs> how am I supposed to um, comprehend 90 videos that are so early on in development? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like. It was the, it's like, you know, Jason Schreier described it as the biggest leak in video Gaming game history, history yeah. which it absolutely is. But at the same time... I don't know if I can test that. It's so early that I mm. almost don't know what I think about it. What would you describe as the biggest leak? The Walmart leak or the NVIDIA leak? Because... Oh, this is bigger. Now, why? Well, that leaked a bunch of titles, right? Yeah. But we don't know anything about them. That wasn't, like, internal mm. video. I guess so. I mean, I, I guess like Last of Us 2 was pretty big at the time. That I was mean, big. Like, this is definitely 100%. big because it's gameplay and it's GTA. It's the biggest thing ever. But I just think in terms of the scale, like yeah. the amount of devs that were harmed, the amount of devs who had assets that were shown super early in the Walmart leak and the NVIDIA leak that were like 15 titles. That's 15 studios, 15 marketing campaigns. Like if we're just comparing this stuff, that came to mind more in terms of uh, seismic seismicity. I get that. That was obviously a very big leak. The mm. Naughty Dog uh, Last of Us Part 2 thing was a very big leak. Mm-hmm. To me, this is the biggest because of how early it is in development and how True. this might color the opinions of people who are not familiar with video game development who will see this now. You know, your average Joe who buys uh, <laughs> Call of Duty and GTA. Jimmy FIFA. Uh, and there's nothing knocking that, but you know, in my stereotype mm. that I've just created, they don't follow game development. They'll no. see this, think it's Final Code or whatever, and be like, well, that looks bad. And it's like, nah, I do. nah, 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 nah. I was going to film something today, and we ran out of time, but I, I'm desperate. I'm dying to do a video on the state of video game advertising, pre-release conversations, just how much the average person doesn't know about game development and how that's not really their fault. Yeah. The gaming industry is so guarded, so NDA'd up the wazoo that you very rarely, or the average person doesn't know how a game is made and doesn't understand it and gets annoyed when they see something like this and they and it's not to say that it's the le- people who get leaked from's no. fault obviously but so much more could be done um to highlight how games are made and get communities on board with the state of something like a gta 6 as it is right now um or a target render or a vertical slice or whatever and be excited about the process of making a game totally. and have a whole bunch of devs going like well this is what we're targeting look how beautiful it is that's only 10 minutes of the game that's why the graphics look incredible we're aiming for that but we'll do what we can and yes go, go down that route yeah the opposite of that is very much by design of like marketers, like yeah. you said, for vertical slices. You know, it's only the past 10 years where we've kind of, you know, accepted generally mm. that, you know, the trailers and the demos that we see at E3 aren't real. No. You know, like they are fabricated. They are what the developers are aiming for, but they're still sold as if they're like, this is how the game looks yeah. in development right now. And that's just demonstrably not true as we've seen with this. Mm-hmm. And I think we are starting to come around, but developers and publishers and marketers and whatever don't kind of, back away from the fiction that a game looks like an E3 demo all the way through its development, which I guess is... I'm just repeating your point at this point. Yeah, <laughs> no, I think trying to pass it out of my own head. No, I well. think that's a worthwhile um, bit of nuance in regards to how they talk about their games because it makes me think of the way No Man's Sky rolled out and the only way that game came out was here's our target render, here's what we're aiming for. We've rendered a version of the game yeah. that will hopefully look like it will um, when the actual game catches up to it um, and that's obviously what people then went into, you know, went into the launch day expecting and everything and it wasn't even close to that um, and also something like Cyberpunk, like that whole idea of the 45 minute um, you know, version of the game that was shown to 
to journalists being faked because that's what they're aiming for. However, at the same time, this is just what I was going to do the video on. At the <laughs> same time, um, very quickly, CDPR made a very, very good point in the wake of The Witcher 3 when they were being accused of the game being uh, downgraded, where they literally, I forget the name, it might have been Marcin Nowinski, I know he's the um, the head of the studio, who just said, how can it be a downgrade when, you know, like the that version of the game that we showed off early, that, that was the best possible situation for the graphics for as much of the overall game we'd built to that point. So we could put all this other rendering tech and size, game data, whatever, into the graphical side of it, file size-wise. And then over time, the game got bigger, so they had to reduce the graphical fidelity, and that's the best we could possibly do. Mm. So there's no way that's a downgrade. That's the best we can possibly do it. Yeah. And that explanation of, like, why it's not a downgrade, I love that explanation. Um, I'd rather you front-loaded that beforehand um, because the same thing happened with something like Final Fantasy VII, but, like, the, the original. But I think that's interesting as well. Totally. Like, if the average person got what we were aiming for, yeah. that would um, that would explain all this stuff. I mean, I guess, like, I'm not certainly not blaming the developers specifically. It's more the kind of marketing no. teams who kind of, like, put these packages together and mm -hmm. whatnot. But, yeah, we sort of, like, I think players, through their own fault and the fault of just how they have had... Uh, the message of video game development delivered to them, mm. kind of like, you know, we see these controversies, these kind of like not what should be non-controversies popping up all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned The Witcher there where, you know, what they saw looked great, but the end product in terms of its scale and everything else, mm -hmm. like, of course it doesn't look as good, but look at all of these other systems that weren't present in that first yeah. version of the trailer and whatnot. It's Then you get stuff like, you know, Spider-Man in the Puddle Gate because the puddles <laughs> weren't where they uh, originally uh. were in the trailer and stuff. But it gets to a point where it's so granular that for my, for my money, you're missing the forest for the trees, as yes. it were. Well, you're missing the big picture, in literally the big picture that will be on your television screen mm -hmm. at some point or PC screen if you like PC games. You're missing the ocean for the puddle. <laughs> That's exactly, you might yeah. say. You're missing I, the ocean for the puddle, Scott. I tell you as well, I tell you as well, I tell you for why, we've done so much recording today, nigh on all day, that we're now sitting here trying to do the end of a podcast at 4.45pm <laughs> and struggling for breath. Um, the thing I was going to say is that this leak kind of crystallizes for me the difference between how people view early assets and, you know, like the, the argument against showing people early access stuff um, or in-progress stuff. For me, the, the GTA leak only made me more excited Excited, like only hinted yeah. at, at the potential of things like the robbery systems, the new gameplay mechanics, the gunplay mechanics, and the combat. Um, it doesn't remotely disappoint me. I'm not treating it as, as final or even close to final because it literally is not. No. I can't fathom anyone looking at it and just and and saying, oh my God, it looks terrible. When they're literally being told it's unfinished. And um, when it literally, you know, it's based on the original GTA 5 engine, it controls like GTA 5, the melee animations are the same as GTA 5. However, I think it splits people down the middle because if you're into games and the process of games, you look at this and go, well, I can't wait to see what comes next. Yeah. And um, if you don't understand it, you look at this and go, well, it doesn't look like how it's supposed to. Yeah. It's not wowing me. But it's like, it's not good at this stage. Totally, man, and I, I fully agree. I would like to see more stuff diving into, like, these earlier prototypes. Mm. Like, if you look at, you know, obviously Noclip, uh, Danny O'Dwyer's mm -hmm. YouTube channel, dives into a lot of uh, footage th uh, that comes from, you know, the actual development of a video game. And, you know, there's a bunch of other behind-the-scenes stuff. Sony's pretty good for it, doing, yep. like, the final hours of The Last of Us and the God of the God of War Ragnarok one, mm -hmm. where you kind of see iterations of the game as it was being made. And it's it's kind of like seeing a movie. Uh, if you're a test audience for, like, the next blockbuster mm. movie, like, when you go to test screenings, like, those movies aren't finished. Nope. You're just getting storyboards instead of fully finished scenes. You're not you're getting unfinished effects. And if I went to see one of those movies, I wouldn't be able to rate it because I wouldn't no. have the imagination to fill it in because I'm so used to seeing the final product. And that's doubled in the video game space where you're so used to seeing the final product yeah. or at least or sometimes something that's better than the final product in like early trailers of vertical slices that don't actually exist, that to then go to the raw nitty gritty of game development, <laughs> it kind of blows your mind. And we need some more education, I suppose is the word yeah, on that process. Education and exposure to the process like you said. I mean, yeah, you mentioned Sony. They used to have a whole dev te dev team uh, roundtable where they would get various people in. Neil Druckmann did one for The Last of Us and um, where they talk about the pro uh, pro procedure of making those games. It was hosted by Will Wheaton like a good few years ago. There was a few of those roundtables and then nothing, el uh, nothing else. But yeah, I just, I feel like way more could be done in that regard. Daniel Dwyer actually tweeted saying the argument against um, you know, like, th th it's weak. Like saying that we can't just show people things early. Like mm. just saying that that's like the argument against that is very weak. Like why not do that? 
that stuff and steer into it. Right. The only way that you combat this stuff and you remove the idea that someone, some 16-year-old kid, who in this case it is, wanted to go out of their way to steal a bunch of GCA assets, is you make them less valuable. You make it so that the company is the first person showing them off. Right. And just saying, look at our next GTA. We hope you're excited for it. Like, and be honest about the process the whole way through. Again, I'm going to kind of like backtrack a little mm -hmm. bit because that is like good and valuable to have. Mm -hmm. But also I remember when developers have tried this in the past and people have said, why are you showing me this? I remember when Battlefront 1, uh, the DICE version uh, okay. published by EA right. was first announced and it was not gameplay. It was footage from DICE working on the game mm. with in development assets that weren't properly textured and all of that. And <laughs> myself included kind of said, why are you showing us this? Why not right. wait another year and show us something more tangible? So I, I can kind of see why they don't. I can't. I, I feel like the gaming industry was a different place back then. Like that would have been before 2015. That was before mm. we all got put through the ringer with, you know, really high profile disasters like No Man's Sky or Cyberpunk um, or uh, Ghost Recon or, you know, insert game here, let's say. Um, I feel like that was a different place. If you contrast that, even in EA's case with Skate and um, the way that they've True. rolled out the new Skate, every step of the way, it's been, look what we've done this time. Um, look at this trick we've just modeled and you build a community around that. Um, yeah, I feel like the general response to when something gets delayed or um, or pushed back or whatever is very understanding now. Like everyone's just like, give it time because we all know what we don't want now. Yeah. Um, like I said, I feel like the industry was in a different spot back then. Um, I think I just think there's a way to steer into the thing that you're terrified of mm -hmm. um, and emerge better on the other side of it, um, especially at this scale. I mean, Rockstar are known for being so cards to their chest. They'll play them when they're ready, um, which likely made them a target inadvertently over time time anyway um, and I just feel like there's a way to like to steer into it where you, you get excited about like an early prospect of something I hope so you would hope so I really do I uh, you know lighten the clouds I'll tell you this if you saw me an unfinished if they showed me an unfinished character model mm. of anyone from the Elder Scrolls 6 <laughs> I would believe that it's real so that's yeah. a plus yeah I think that, I think there's ways to do it I think it's, it would vary by dev um, but I just yeah I think there's more that can be done with the making of stuff I just realized that when you think about you know a production still leaks from an on-set shoot of the movie that's in progress no one looks at that and says, well, that's unfinished. Oh, my God, that that's terrible. It's not what I wanted or whatever. That's they true. just default wait for more. Yeah. They wait for at least a trailer or something. Um, and I don't think the people complaining about the state of GTA 6 are the majority. I think that's, you know, there's the angry minority for everything. Um, I, like I said, I can't fathom any logical human looking at that and going like, well, that's, I wouldn't pay £70 for this. It's like, well, they're not asking you for that. Like, <laughs> not even close to that yet. Um, but anyway, speaking of new stuff, um, Tom Henderson of various leaks fame, dude who's leaked various things from Call of Duty to uh, Battlefield and everything else, has set up a new website called Insider Gaming and uh, launched it with, uh, you know, said there was going to be a new, a, a massive scoop coming alongside the launch of the new site. Um, that was a new PlayStation 5 model, apparently coming in 2023, mm. um, which will make the fourth skew the fourth version of the PS5, um, which made me think of it. I had to ask you what this meant um, because you've got the, the disc version, the non-disc version, and um, if you really get technical about it, there is the newer version that is cheaper to make. It's a little bit lighter, classed as the third version. Yeah. So the fourth one that's coming up um, has a bit more to it than just changing the innards. Apparently would have a, a removable disc drive. What does that um, mean, Scott Telford? Well, it reminds me of when, um, I guess, the eighth generation kicked off and Xbox tried to do it. It was like the whole, um, you can buy an HD DVD drive separately and it's nice. like if you want to have HD DVDs and you put them in there or whatever my gut feeling is that it's their attempt at combating the Xbox Series S because they can sell you a digital system for assumedly less make the disk drive optional um, try and get you ensconced in the digital uh, storefront their whole ecosystem of 70 pound games yeah. and uh, you know digital pricing and everything else because they know the digital um, acquisition of games is 80% of the market yes. so why not try and capitalize on that um, but while still trying to appear friendly to all of us who's going to go, well, I might want something pre-owned, even though I buy one pre-owned game every <laughs> five years, um, or one brand new game in disc form every five years. Funnily enough, the reason I got the uh, disc version of the PlayStation mm. 5 was primarily because it plays UHD movies. <laughs> right. It plays like... What do you call it? Yeah, just UHD. Yeah, yeah, yeah like Ultra HD. And that's kind of what I wanted in the same way that I really wanted the PlayStation 2 because it had a DVD player. Interesting. And I was hitting two birds with one stone. So maybe that could be another option for this discless version of the console yeah. if it also has other utility 
you know, the multimedia aspects. I'd imagine that if they're, you know, moving towards making the overall unit cheaper and, uh, you know, uh, lighter and everything, that the way forward is a digital system. I mean, like, obviously, the Series X takes discs, but the Series S doesn't, and that's the thing that completely undercuts them. Um, and that's always the system that, like, I recommend to people. Like, get a Game Pass, get Series S. That's the best deal in gaming right now. So if you can combat that and say there's a PS5 available for £300 or £350, um, you know, and the disc drive is optional if you want to get into pre-owned mm. games or you want to get into 4K movies, I would imagine that people who are getting into pre-owned games now, I mean, they literally are the minority because the statistics show that everyone just buys digital. Yeah. So you might as well try and find a middle point between the two available main SKUs that are out there. I would stay with the disc version mm. because the prices of the PlayStation Store can be ridiculous. Like, yes. I don't want to buy Final Fantasy Stranger of Paradise <laughs> for $49.99 in no. the sale when no. I can get it for £25 pre-owned mm -hmm. in somewhere like CEX. And that's why I would, on top of the UHD Blu-ray thing, champion getting a disk drive, whether it's optional in this case or mm -hmm. whether it's built into the console as the regular PlayStation 5 model is. I like the well, I like the idea of just a more streamlined system. I quite like the PlayStation 5's design overall. Like it yeah. is big and gaudy and ridiculous. I know it's based on a big tower in Dubai. And um I get I quite like how stupid it looks, but I like my games to be I like my gaming to be big and stupid. Yeah. Um but I like the idea of them sort of uh, trying to find a way to split the difference. Do you overall. think that, you know, with this in mind, is PlayStation kind of going more in on peripherals and whatnot? Because we're going mm. to talk about PSVR 2 soon, yes. but I'm also thinking about the DualSense Edge controller that they announced, which mm -hmm. is kind of like the Xbox Elite controller where yep. you've got, you know, the back... Uh, buttons and whatnot and a few modular designs and it's like they didn't have that for the PlayStation 4 era uh, like, a, like a pro controller and now they do and now yeah. they might have this removable disc drive or whatever and we're also doubling down on VR with the PSVR 2 are they kind of embracing that wider ecosystem in a way that they shied away from it in previous years. Kinda. They've got what was they had that keyboard add-on for the PS4 controller, and they had that. Um, I'm bl I'm blanking. My mind is blank as to whether this is a PlayStation Five accessory. I think it was PS4. They did a little clip-on thing. Yes. And um, was it for the PS4 it where the it had four. like additional it paddles and stuff? I think it was for. The, I'm pretty sure it was for the, for the four. Yeah. Like yeah. Sold out instantly. And yes. Like never went back in stock at least for me. When no, I was and it had like it. a little display thing on it, and it was like that was their attempt at like okay, this is we're experimenting with whether people would buy this thing, and obviously it's led to the Dual uh, DualShock Edge or whatever. Um, but yeah, I think that like their overall, th I mean, it's Sony, they see what works with the competition. I mean, there's not a single part of this that isn't what the competition has already proven works. Um, it took Xbox doing this first for them to go, we should probably do one of them as well. And um, with the Elite Controller stuff, um, and there was always, there's always been elite variants of controllers for a while. But like you said, I think that they're diversifying their overall um, offerings when it comes to like PS, something like PSVR 2, um, which Xbox is just nowhere near. No. Um, even Nintendo were like, here's a cardboard version. You can <laughs> sort of slot the switch on your face and Ooh, see how that works. Um, which is a good transition into um, the PlayStation VR 2. Now, this is something that you're going to talk about a lot more because I do not care. I threatened before we started recording <laughs> to make this entire podcast about PSVR 2 because I am going to say it right now. It's the single most exciting video game thing that's happened to me all year. <laughs> when it was first announced in its crappy blog form in February or whenever oh, it was, yep. I was excited. When we got a look at some of the games, Horizon, Call of the Wild, uh, the Walking Dead Saints and Sinners Chapter 2, mm. I was excited, Scott Tilford. And this past week, He's we have man. got hands-on previews from a bunch of outlets, IGN, everyone else, mm -hmm. uh, who have actually spent time with the machine. Mm -hmm. And I'm even more excited <laughs> than I was because it just sounds like everything I personally want from a PSVR 2. The original PSVR kit was a proof of concept. It was retrofitting old tech like the PlayStation Move controllers mm. to try and... Uh, prove to the PlayStation ecosystem that Sony could do VR well mm. if it was given the opportunity. And it was a success. It sold really well. And now we're here with what's, in my opinion, the proper version. It's custom built from the ground up. It's way more technically advanced yeah. in terms of the stuff that's actually going on inside the system. And it's got even PS5 features because it's got haptics and all of that built into the headset. Mm -hmm. And man, the games they've announced... The, the write-ups that I've seen about people who have actually used the technology 
I I cannot wait to have this thing <laughs> in my house. And I warn you now, Go everyone on. listening to this, and okay. people in this room, Scott Hilford, <laughs> that I will not stop talking about this next year unless it disappoints me, which I've almost set it up to <laughs> by being so excited for it. Someone should be excited for PSVR 2 because it doesn't feel like Sony are. Oh. It feels like they rolled it out on the blog post. They just saw us, ah, it's over here, guys, if you want it. I don't know, we tried. We sort of tried getting people excited about it. It didn't really work, oh. so... Let's try all this stuff again. My thing with PSVR, or my thing with VR gaming overall, is that I love the idea of it. I view it as the modern-day analog stick, which changed everything. Um, but I need games that take advantage of that. Like my whole compa- The reason I compare it to the analog stick um, is that when that, an- that arrived in gaming, either on the N64 or dual analogs, like on the PlayStation, it fundamentally changed how we control games, how we interface with games, fundamentally changed, changed camera control and changed your options in a game. VR, for me... Um, there are so few games that f- like feel they could only like they could only be done on VR. Mm. Um, and when I gave, I have a PlayStation VR. I bought it for No Man's Sky because um, I just wanted to live in a No Man's Sky world. Um, so I have a PlayStation VR. But the amount of titles that are just like shooting galleries or you know base action stuff or things where I'm holding a controller and I'm just acting out what I would be doing, except that the screen is attached to my eyeballs. Yeah. Like they need more experiences that feel like they could only be done in VR. And you've described a lot of them. The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners game feels a lot like that. Um, and I did have um, an experience with, um, you know, playing something like, I, I forget which game it was, it might have been the Until Dawn game, um, the Rush of Blood, yes. where um, you're coming up against these like two swarms of zombies. Okay. And I was like fundamentally able to aim in two places at once. Yeah. And um, looking between these two different hordes, shooting to my left and right, um, you know, like in the Jesus Christ pose, like shooting both ways. And I was like, this is really, really cool. I don't remember this in any game, hardly any games really. Devil May Cry 2, let me shoot two dudes. Um, but capitalizing on that where it's like a unique feel where like my viewpoint and my controller is like so uh, unique in that space that's what i want to see more of stuff that can only be done in vr and i like i know half-life alex is the one that shows it off to a lot of people and so maybe it's just a case of getting that on vr too but i am yet to be amazed by it i think um you know when we originally jumped into psvr especially which like i said was a rudimentary bit of kit even at the time it was very much an entry-level VR system for that sphere that it occupied. Like, yeah, I agree. A lot of the games were kind of, you know, weirdly controller-based where yeah. you were just getting this greater immersion. And even the ones that, you know, required the move controllers, they used the move controllers so they weren't, <laughs> and they used the PlayStation camera so they weren't, you know, incredibly accurate. They weren't, you know, very specific in terms of the actions that you could perform. And that's why I'm excited for the new custom controllers that come with the PSVR 2. Because I think a lot of the games that have come out within the past few years give you that analog stick experience. They give mm. you this new dimension literally throughout your face hole uh, that you can only, that, that that differentiates it from anything that's on base console. Mm. You know, like you said, Half-Life Alex, The Walking Dead Saints and Sinners, mm-hmm. uh, even something like Beat Saber, you know, is like incredibly immersive mm-hmm. when you're in there and you, you wouldn't get the same experience on a regular, you know, TV or PC or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of think that those experiences will just become even more commonplace as we go on because they're already becoming commonplace right now, in my opinion. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates 
fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employees agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Yeah, I'm curious about how um, or how the average person takes to like a VR headset in their house. Like, because obviously, um, the, one of the most recent Oculus versions is completely uh, wire free or whatever. You just slip it on. That's what I want from PSVR 2, which I know isn't going to be the case. They've said it's going to happen in the wire, yeah. um, which puts me off immediately. I want to be able to just slot it on. I want VR to be like a set of sunglasses that I just slot on. Right. Um, I want it to be as easy to take on and put off as that. And it, and it needs to sync up with a, con- with a console um, as easy as a Bluetooth connection does. Like, when they get there, then I'm way more on board. I don't want to be moving around half my living room or my bedroom or whatever just to play a couple of games that's yeah. immediately a massive barrier of entry for me i get that and you know as a there are obviously like full body ps well not psvr but full body vr experiences mm. that are just quite frankly too robust for my tiny flat and i wouldn't <laughs> be able to play them because i don't have the space right but what i loved about you know psvr specifically is that a lot of them you can just play on your couch and mm. from the addition of like, th- you know, I guess 180 mm-hmm. uh, movement in terms of, you know, your vision and stuff and the addition of the controllers in your hands, it still transformed the gaming experience for me and hopefully that's kind of what they nail with PSVR 2. They have it more accessible because PSVR 1 was a mess of <laughs> uh, tangled wires and peripherals yeah. and all of that. And if this only has one wire... That, to me, is still a huge improvement and way more accessible than the PSVR 1 was. It's definitely in the right direction, yeah. I think that, like, yeah, that thing about having, you know, trying to play a game and wondering subconsciously or or sometimes consciously how many wires are right in front of me in the real world when I'm trying to walk around in this other world um, took me out of it. And then, like, just, yeah, there's... For me, there's only to get past that hump of, like, you are wearing a screen on your head and, like, anyone could be standing behind you and you wouldn't know or whatever, which, like, the Vive has a whole toggle so you can look at, like, you can use a camera to see outside, which I think the PSVR 2 does have. Yes. So that's um, like a virtual reality thing, I think. Yeah. It's not a full toggle, yeah, where you can sort of see your surroundings. That's interesting, though, because, mm. like, I am well over that hump. Like, right. I can do anything in my flat. <laughs> I am, the, my neighbors have seen some scenes, is all right. I'm going to say. And me walking around pretending I'm an Iron Man with a VR headset <laughs> is probably the least offensive thing they have seen. By That's my thing. My window. I just end up wanting to close all the curtains and just play with the headset. I don't want anyone watching me play <laughs> games where I'm like stabbing someone or doing like a, a mock dive through the air or whatever the hell it is. I just, I, there's something um, performative, I guess is the word of VR, where like you see someone in a VR headset and they look ridiculous. And so far I'm not able to divorce that and just enjoy the game. I'm always like, anyone could come home from work or a friend could come over or whatever and yeah. I'll just be in this weird realm and they'll just gather around me in the living room and point and laugh actively loudly and I wouldn't even know. This is where I need to throw it out to the people listening because I'm like, do you have this ingrained in you? Because I don't. <laughs> in what I would say to you, Scott, is like, liberate yourself. <laughs> like, don't care what they think. You're having a good time. I it's look true. at the person in the VR headset and think, man, they look... They look like they're, they're cool. Fun. They look cool. I yeah. wish I was them. <laughs> I don't. I don't mind the um, friends and family and uh, loved ones laughing at me. It's more the fact that someone could be ransacking my house and I wouldn't <laughs> even know as I'm just playing super hot for the t- tenth time. What I would say yeah. is. People could do that in your sleep as well, but you still go to sleep. There's a ch- well, there's a chance I'll wake up though. Chance my my ears aren't covered, my vision isn't covered. Like it's just I'm not going to put a helmet on when I go to bed. Um, but yeah, I think that the PSVR 2 has a lot of potential. I want to see a lot more gameplay footage. A lot of the hands-on stuff that we just referenced um, didn't have um, capture, yeah. or at least the stuff that I watched didn't have capture. It had people describing what they'd been doing, which is always fine. But I want to see what the hell it actually is, especially when um, we're going to directly compare it to PSVR 1. And um, they have said that no PSVR 1 games will work with two. Um, so it very much seems like it's a, a fresh start for the thing, which totally. maybe just don't call it PSVR 2 then, but mm. do like a whole new virtual platform or something. I disagree ah. because <laughs> did we call the PlayStation 4 something different just because it wasn't backwards compatible with 2 and 3? 
I suppose not. not. But uh, and sequels do sell. But uh, I think that yeah, this is the more definitive one. Where I mean the you know the uh, PlayStation Four was still carrying over control schemes and things yes. from the from the previous one. But yeah, we'll see how it goes down. Um, next news item down, which we're throwing in because it's still Dragon Ball month. Hell yeah, still Dragon Ball time. Um, you finished Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. I, yeah, um, I went back and watched all of the Cell Saga, the Boo Saga, the final chapters. All that stuff is done. Oob, I'd completely forgotten about him. I. It seems fine. It's a strange ending, that, it's isn't a, it? Dragon Ball Z, for as much as that is one seismic anime, has one of the worst endings, maybe, <laughs> of all time. I, I'm not a fan of that stuff whatsoever. Goku just abandoning his entire family. Just, he's, he's, he's one to do that. We, it, yeah. we talked about this off um, mic one mm-hmm. time, and I posited to you that Goku is actually kind of a dick. He's a horrible dad. And you initially said he wasn't a dick. So no. after this, I want to know if you changed your I don't mind. Think, I don't think he's... Well, I don't think he's a dick. I think he's very well-meaning. I think he, Although, I think he's a terrible dad. And I think he yes. prioritizes his love of combat. He's He becomes just as prideful as Vegeta. Like, he's... Oh, I, when they're fighting Boo and the Earth's been destroyed and multiple other planets have been destroyed, Goku's the guy who's just straight up, one, offering Bulma up to a god, yeah. saying he'll take salacious pictures of Bulma to convince the god to help. Horrible. Bad. Why didn't you change that when you were doing the Kai version, lads. Very bad. And then also um, decides to put his, um, you know, fight uh, Boo by himself and just do it without any any help or power-ups or whatever it is, entirely because of pride. That's Vegeta's thing, Goku. You're not supposed to do that. Hey, it's the same thing, I Apparently. guess. And Goku is just kinder about it. Cause... Well, yeah, just because he's framed a bit better. Like you said, he's uh, he's got some flaws. But yeah, the way Dragon Ball Z ends where he just randomly he's having a lovely time with all of his friends and his family and everything, and then character Oob turns up and he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go train Oob and I'll see you later. Bye, son and grandson and wife and everyone else. Um, and they all go, please don't leave us. You've done this many times. Please stay with us. We love you. And he goes, see you later. It's not like he's got any time to make up for. It's not like no. he intentionally died for seven years <laughs> and then mostly abandoned his family He lives on a separate time. planet in Super anyway. He lives on a separate planet in his own mind, oh. I think. He's a strange... He's a strange man, is old Goku. Analyzing I, Dragon know. Ball through a modern lens. Oh, it's a uh, vast majority well, fun, you know. but there's there's parts that are just like, what are, what are we doing? Kakarot, what are we doing, Mr. Toriyama? is excellent, I think. And yes. I loved Kakarot the more I played it because uh, I didn't have high expectations going into it. It got mm-hmm. a lot of like kind of lukewarm reviews, a lot of 7 out of 10s. I don't think it's stellar. I think it's a really good 7. 7 out of 10. I think Maybe even a really good 6. Uh, wow. I think it's a high seven. It's probably a high seven. Low eight. I just think that it gets so repetitive over time. Like, I do That's love it, and I love it as a, as a way to play through the Z saga, but I do feel the combat gets very repetitive, and every character plays the same. I, oh, again, I agree and disagree, because mm. it's very repetitive, uh, but it's not as repetitive as it could be. Hey. And what kept me in were the massive surges in power that you get mm. that reflect the character's journey through the anime and through the story itself. Yes. Like, you know, sometimes you're doing one boss fight after another, and you're getting like 300,000 XP for each one, (laughs) going up a level or two. And that increase in power is felt in the gameplay itself, Mm. you know, in terms of new super moves that you're unlocking and in terms of the raw damage you're doing. Mm. I always felt like I was getting stronger in that game, and that power trip excuse a lot of the repetition for me personally. Yeah, I think it can do. I just think that... And the thing is, I should clarify why we're talking about Dragon Ball Z Kakarot in 2022. Um, The game, almost semi-randomly, but I guess Dragon Ball's having a big resurgence at the minute, mainly because the Dragon Ball superhero movie is out and is doing absolute gangbusters global box office-wise. And obviously, it's been in Fortnite and everything. So um, one of the announcements that came from the Tokyo Game Show from uh, Bandai Namco is that Dragon Ball Z Kakarot is getting an upgrade on PS5 and Xbox Series X um, with a whole new render model. Everything looks... Upscale. There's some comp- comparison shots doing the rounds. Um, and yeah, the game's apparently going to run a lot better. And it's getting new DLC focused on Bardock, which is Goku's dad. Um, which I have to assume will just be set in the vague timeline that the very beginning of Broly is set in. Yeah, where he's well, off doing missions before Planet Vegeta's blown up. The thing with the DLC uh, for Kakarot initially is that it kind of like just jumps around it, doesn't really care what story it's telling. Yeah. Like, it has a whole expansion about uh, the alternate future with Trunks and Gohan. And mm-hmm. I know that's based on a, I think it's like a short film that was released. It's I the history of Trunks. The yeah. history of Trunks. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know if that's canon. Is it canon? I okay. do believe it's canon, yeah. Okay. Well, okay, well it's, it's the timeline that he then goes back and wipes out. So totally. Like, yeah, yeah, it's still canon, but it's like, yes. yeah, not counted anymore. It's kind of weird. It's, it's what he goes back that- to when he goes back to the future. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it's kind of weird in the same way that Bardock is kind of <laughs> weird, in that we're just getting these side stories. Bardock's not weird. Fun de- I don't know if that's true. Bardock's right. lovely. Uh, I love Bardock. Okay. He's just Goku with a scar. Uh, he is, and I yeah. don't like characters. Ah, they're just getting into like, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z lore. I don't like characters who are just Goku with something. It's why I don't like Goten. It's just oh. Goku, Goku from 
Dragon Ball the original, you know? Yeah, oh, I like Goten. He's cool. Yeah, he's all right. Yeah. He's no Gohan. He's no, well, he's no Gohan. Who Even is? Gohan's no Gohan. <laughs> but by the time you've got through the Boo Saga, where we leave him in Cell is not where he ends up. The point is, I'm excited for this DLC, and yes. I do think it's weird that they announced it out of nowhere, because mm. originally um, the the Trunks expansion came out, like, June last year, and right. they haven't said anything about future content since then. Obviously, it's been a year and a bit since. Mm. I don't think they announced the Season 2, and now it's, like not only are you getting a next-gen part, but you're getting these additional DLC episodes. And I just think that's neat, especially because well, it feels like I'm the main character because I've just started playing this game. Yes. And it feels like it was made for me now. <laughs> Captain Phillips meme or whatever. You see this? It's me now. This is my <laughs> game now. I think it's interesting, though, because when the Dragon Ball movie came out, I was like, sweet, love Dragon Ball. I haven't like watched it in a good few years, but I absolutely love that saga. Um, I'll go back and... Well, sorry, I'll go and watch the new movie. And that put me in such a Dragon Ball mood that I dug out Dragon Ball Fighter Z and I re-downloaded Kakarot and I just started playing those games. And we were talking about them. I think you were fe- feeling the Dragon Ball bug, too. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to our uh, your friend of mine, Adam Nicholas, who has also been bitten by the Dragon Ball bug, the Dragon Bug. And uh, so he started, um, you know, playing some games, watching some Dragon Ball again. And like we said, we kind of just thought it was us because obviously it's a response to the movie, but still. And then it, it was in Fortnite. That was the thing. And then now you've got this upgrade. So I feel like there must be an en masse response to Dragon Ball in the air. Yeah. Um, you know, we did get a couple of questions on the UBP uh, Friday's community podcast um, asking about it as well. So I feel like a lot of people are responding to Dragon Ball right now and they're obviously going to capitalize on it. I do think it's a bit of a missed opportunity not having the upgrade ready to go now. But at the same time, they must have only greenlit this in the wake of the amount of people picking Dragon Ball back up again. This is it, right? Because not only are we getting the Kakarot uh, upgrade next mm-hmm. year, but we got, we're going to get the Fighter Z upgrade next year as well yeah. that they announced because uh, they said that's going to get a next-gen version. Mm. Um, and then, it was, again, it was not until 2023. So these things are coming, but it is, like you said there, a shame that it wasn't around for this Current resurgence of yes. Dragon Ball love following the movie and the crossover with Fortnite. The thing is, um, Kakarot, I think, performs pretty damn well anyway. Like, yeah. I'm on Series X, but it's very smooth. Fighter Z is an absolute beast of a game. Like, it's, that thing is beautiful. It bloody is. It's uh, it's very, very slick. So I guess I'll just be a case of tweaking some uh, frame rates for that game. But yeah, Kakarot's going to look a hell of a lot better. I think if you're looking for a all-round Dragon Ball game just to dive into, Kakarot's combat is like one of the best things about it. Um, yes, it gets a bit repetitive, but you do have access to every signature move in that whole saga um, and you can teleport behind dudes. I just love teleporting behind dudes with the right sound effect and elbowing them out the sky. Me too. All I want to do. All I want is someone to try and Kamehameha me, <laughs> and then as soon as it hits me, teleport behind yeah. them, crack them in their back yeah. with an elbow, yeah. and send them into the ground. <laughs> and you say that's repetitive, and I agree. But if it... The Only thing, for like 40 hours. It's the thing. If the thing you're repeating is the best move of all time, <laughs> can you complain that much? I don't think no, you can. No, I suppose you can't. What do you prefer, the Kamehameha or the Spirit Bomb? Because uh, I, I never used to like the Spirit Bomb. I never used to like the Spirit no. Bomb either. No, there was something about it that was slow and cumbersome, mm. and I just preferred the simplicity of the Kamehameha. I might have to. I'm also a Kamehameha fan. I might have to do um, a Twitter, sorry, a uh, YouTube community post, because you can do image posts now. Can you? I wonder whether Ryu's Fireball is more popular than Goku's Kamehameha. I can't be sure. I will, I don't know. That's, that's the question for the all ages. Before we continue, yes. I will say that I'm a Destructor Disc truther. <laughs> Krillin's move is excellent. And... Also. Not that stupid thing he does, though. Where, oh, it's actually, it's not the destructive disc. Krillin does that move where he launches that big beam and then he lifts people up with it. Yeah, yeah, And I'm yeah. like, physics don't work that way, mate. <laughs> you can't do that. No. No, I love it in Dragon Ball where someone's just like on the end of a beam and it's just sort of like <laughs> pushing them like around. Like a big arm. Yeah, it's not like going through them. It's like, it's solid at that yeah. point in time. And also, when we're talking about Vegeta. Yes. Big Bang Attack is obviously excellent. Yep. But I'm also... Gatling Gun. A Gallic Gun. Yeah, Gallic Gallic Gun? Gallic, Gallic Gun. Gallic. I think it's... Gallic gun? G-A-L-I-C-K. Gallic gun. Is that what it's called? I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. gun. No. If it's Gallic gun, then your, your mate Gallic Jr. is coming back in. He wants, uh, <laughs> that would be good. He wants his move good. back. No, my favorite Vegeta move is when he does he points really, really fast and he goes like, da 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 And it's all like, he just, does little disco points. That is sick. Yeah, I yeah. will give you that. He does that very fast in uh, Fighter Z. Dragon Ball is very good. Now, it if is. enough people respond to this part of the podcast, maybe one day we'll do our own Dragon Ball podcast. I don't think we should because we've talked <laughs> about this for like three weeks now. And every time <laughs> we bring it up, I know people are going to be turning it off. But Thankfully, it's be done. the podcast service that we use doesn't show retention. So I don't, I don't know if it'll 
drop off at this part of the podcast. No one's here at this point. No, this no one's even going to know that we did this. If you listen to this part of the podcast, give us a message on on Twitter and yes. just say DBZ yes. That's all we need. <laughs> just uh, as confirmation that it, that, uh, that you're out there. Um, a final piece of news is uh, the Resident Evil um, DLC is coming out for the Resident Evil 8 Village. And apparently uh, Capcom have said it's going to be the end of the Winter Saga, um, which is kind of weird because I thought that they were fleshing out all the Rose stuff from the end of Village, uh, Rose being main character Ethan? Yes. Ethan's uh, daughter. I thought they were fleshing out her power set and showing her in the future because they were going to do something else with her as another main character on the level of a Claire Redfield, a Chris Redfield, um, Leon, whatever. But they're not. They've no. just said that the Winter Saga is done after this and <laughs> then we're done and I I actually like this mm. and it's not because I'm passing judgment on Rose's potential as a character or anything I think you are <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to that expansion however mm. my worry with that expansion would be that it would throw so far into the future that mm. you might overlook stories or the development of other characters that would get lost within mm. such a radical time jump because we're going from her as a child to her as a teenager, and that's a long time between True. events. And that's the only reason why I wouldn't have wanted to pick up with her in the main series because it is a big risk, and then you would potentially lose some of the other appeal. I feel like the amount of contrivances and, I mean I hated Resident Evil Village's story. They could do whatever they need to to make her age in 10 minutes if they want to. Where they're just like here's the mega my seat and it does everything. And to be fair, I'm not even sure that they're not doing that. Like I might be saying this and she might be artificially aged for all all I know. We know that Ethan's back at the very end of that final scene. Like he's the dude that she's driving off to talk to or something. Yeah, So but it's like a ghost or a zombie man? It's unclear is what it is. Resident Evil 8 ended on a lot of unclear cliffhangers. Resident Evil story, it's unclear. <laughs> just, just after this long, uh, the amount of different plot threads that they've pulled at and twisted yeah. and fabricated and everything else. Um, yeah. What I love, though, about Resident Evil is its constant um, ability to reinvent itself. Mm. Obviously, we had a huge reinvention with the introduction of Ethan uh, with Resident Evil 7. Mm. Then we got an expansion on that years later with Resident Evil 8 Village, which, in my opinion, was still excellent. Mm. And if this Rose DLC you know, gives us a nice epilogue to the winter story and then we move on to something completely different. Mm-hmm. That's totally fine by me. Cause I was reading the interview where they were talking about this and they said, you know, the future um, gives us the, like capping off this story gives us the opportunity in the future to focus on new characters or maybe even bring back some old ones. And mm-hmm. I like that resident evil never sticks around in one place for too long. That's true. It's always moving on to something else. I wonder actually, now that we think about it, if they deal in trilogies, because mm. we had like the original three sort of top-down isometric games, four changed everything, and then we had the weird action trilogy, which a lot of people dropped off on RE6. Then we have the reboot for seven, eight, and nine, like the Windows trilogy, that's all first person. Yeah. Um, and then you obviously have a DLC, like a little addendum thing. Um, well, sort of like a bridge, I guess, into whatever RE9 is. Um, and then, you know, whether or not that's in first person or not. But I just, I wonder if the overall feel of 7 and 8, if they do one more like that, and then they, whatever Resident Evil 10 is, has to be a much bigger deal anyway. Probably a hybrid of the two. This is my big question, because even now with this DLC and the new version of 8 that's coming out, you know, they're adding a third person uh, oh, perspective yeah. into Resident Evil 8 itself. The Rose expansion mm. is in third person. So it already third seems better. like they're moving away from first person. But is that not a shame, Scott Hill? No! Because I love Resident, Resident Evil in all of its forms. Mm. And I've said this before, probably in this podcast, but <laughs> I love that we have the mainline series currently in first person doing its own thing. Then alongside those and filling in the gaps every year mm. is the uh, remake project that's currently ongoing, you know, mm. two, three, four upcoming. That is the third person classic Resident Evil formula. True. And I like that each one makes you miss the other. And every single time one of them comes around, it feels more special because of that, because you're not just getting another third-person resi game. I think we're talking about things that we've said on previous podcasts. I think I said back when RE2 was doing the rounds, 2019 or whatever it was, because it was our game of the year, I hoped that reminded Capcom to do Resident Evil in third-person again. And it feels like that's eventually come true, um, because the RE4 remake is going to be in third-person, like it was in the past anyway. And the RE3 remake uh, was a continuation of 2. But that overall feel, for me, that is Resident Evil. Like, I, as much as I like the isometric stuff, like, you know, it's fun. I, I quite, I have, like, a soft spot for tank controls. I think they yeah. make you feel helpless in situations when you're against certain creatures. Like, that adds to the horror. But I love RE4. That was always my favorite one. And so you take the tenets of that and, and make that the overall franchise. Remembering the scares and stuff from the old ones, yeah. like the RE2 remake, for me, that's the perfect template. Um, I just, but, I mean, I'm just a third-person guy. No, so, I, and I get it. And I get it, because... 
you know, the beauty of this franchise is that everyone wants something different in mm. everyone's ideal version of Resident Evil is different. But I love that the franchise, like I said, reinvents itself. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, we had those isometric titles, uh, tank controls, you know, JPEG backgrounds and all that. <laughs> and I love that. I love the over-the-shoulder third-person shooting that the Resident Evil 4 trilogy brought in. Mm. And I love the first person. I don't necessarily want to see Resident Evil become a known quantity in that it's just a third-person Resident Evil 4 style forever. Mm. I want to see it constantly reinvent its own mechanics to keep it fresh. I don't I want people to have different ideas of what their ideal Resi game is. And I like that we can come on these podcasts and have discussions about the merits of Resident Evil 1 Remake versus mm. the Resident Evil 2 Remake and all of that jazz. I hope that they do something that hybridizes almost all the approaches. Like, for example, the um, the Lady Beneviento house in Village, where, like, if you imagine that was the only first-person segment of a game, or at least one of them, and your primary viewpoint is third-person, it's more like the RE2 and RE3 remakes, you go into certain parts of the level and you're thrown into first-person. Maybe you go into one part of the level and either through security cams or whatever, you're thrown back into the isometric stuff. But it retains the movement, the fluidity of the newer games. Maybe that is Resident Evil. Like maybe there's a way to hybridize stuff. Um, because no one does hybridize viewpoints anymore. Rainbow That's Six true. Vegas is a long time ago. Well, I've been playing the Modern Warfare 2 beta, Scott Tales, and that has a <laughs> hybridized too. third person and first person. It feels person so course. weird though. It does. It's the weirdest third person thing. It's like, yeah, it's like that's like doing third person in like a Bethesda game where yeah. you just you've thrown a model on, but like a model on screen, but it's still just first person. Honestly, man, it reminds me of Fortnite when they hybridized yeah. it and added in the first person thing. Mm. Just backwards. In don't need it. What I would like to see from Resident Evil, if they do go down the hybridization route, yes. is can you remember the original trailer and footage for Resi 4 when it was the yes. Hookman thing? Mm-hmm. That did the hybridization thing where you had the static camera angles, but then when you went into action mode, for lack of a better term, mm. when you got the gun over the shoulder, it was free form. It was how Resident Evil yeah. 4 was all the way through. Maybe something like that mm-hmm. could work. I don't know. There's a really cool game called uh, Counter Spy that uh, it's like a side-scrolling like platformer stealth game, but whenever you aim, the camera goes over your shoulder and you get to see the world from your dude's perspective, even though for the majority it's more pulled out from the side. Mm. I love that. Um, and uh, anyone you take cover, it shows you their world like from that side as well. Games like the hybridized viewpoints, like Near Automata did it on the, the whole opening stretch of that game. Yes. It's the coolest thing. It is sick. And I feel like Resi has proven itself in various different approaches. So why not, you know, put those things together for the likes of a Resident Evil 10 or whatever when they get there eventually. Um, but overall, a lot of things going on in gaming. We've managed to get from GTA 6 all the way through to the uh, to the Resident Evil stuff by way of PSVR 2. There's, <laughs> there's a lot going down. That's everything that I love in video games. So there we go. It's been my perfect podcast. It's been going to be a very packed year and a very packed 2023. But for now, this has been the World Culture Gaming Podcast. I've been your host, Scott Tailford, joined by Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tailford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.